Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. So Psalm 119, verse 17. Do good to your servant, and I will live. I will obey your word. Open my eyes, that I may see wonderful things in your law. I am a stranger on earth. Do not hide your commands from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your laws at all times. You rebuke the arrogant who are cursed and who stray from your commands. Remove from me scorn and contempt, for I keep your statutes. Though rulers sit together and slander me, your servant will meditate on your decrees. Your statutes are my delight, they are my counsellors. I am laid low in the dust. Preserve my life according to your word. I recounted my ways, and you answered me. Teach me your decrees. Let me understand the teaching of your precepts. Then I will meditate on your wonders. My soul is weary with sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Keep me from deceitful ways. Be gracious to me through your law. I have chosen the way of truth. I have set my heart on your laws. I hold fast to your statutes, O Lord. Do not let me be put to shame. I run in the path of your commands, for you have set my heart free. Father God, we thank you that we can know you. We thank you that you are involved in the everyday moments of our lives. And we pray that this morning we may be equipped to live our lives before you, bringing honour to you and living the life which is for our good. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's great to be able to welcome you here this morning as well, adding my welcome to that of Tim's earlier. My name's Peter Bramhall and I'm the student worker here at Christchurch Fullwood. It's funny, really. I never really imagined I would be the student worker at Christchurch Fullwood. I guess many of you are probably doing jobs or have done jobs in the past that you never really imagined you would be doing. I worked as a number of years as a physio. I went to theological college. I was looking for a job in a church in the northwest, and I ended up in Sheffield, a different path to what I thought I was going to take. And yet, although I don't expect to be here, I did make a conscious decision to go into Christian ministry. I decided to do that for very specific reasons. And they were that I became convinced that the reality of this world was the reality that God made. That God had given ways and purposes and shown us what this world was like and what we were like and how we should live in this world. And I became convinced that that was something I could help others to understand, both those who weren't living that way at the moment and those who were living that way. I was convinced that that was what I should be doing and that was best for other people to be doing as well, living in that kind of way. And as we studied Psalm 119 last week and as we started reading at the beginning of the psalm, we saw that the blessed life was the life of living out the Bible. That pattern of living the way that God had designed the world to be lived in. You see, we're not saved just to, we're not just saved from sin to then just sit back and enjoy the blessing and wait till heaven. 
we were saved and called to live in a way of life, to walk the Bible life in everyday living. That was the way of blessing. And I wonder, though, as I say all of that, whether you think it's a really lovely ideal, isn't it, to live out the Bible. And yet, as you look at your own life, you think it just seems a little bit unrealistic. Now, when it gets down to the the nitty-gritty of life, living out the Bible doesn't seem to be the blessed, happy life. You think about the, the struggles and the strains of your own life. You seek to live out the Bible only to find that people mock you. You identify as one of Jesus' followers and find that people start to exclude you, maybe not consciously, but that happens. I've heard students more than once telling me that their lecturers will stand at the front of the lectures and say things along the lines of, if you are a Christian, then there is something wrong with you. Or maybe you try to do good, you try to follow the right ways and end up being called a party pooper or you're called self-righteous or you're just a bit holier than now. Do you not feel like that sometimes as you seek to live out that Christian life? We have pressures from other people that make it hard to follow the Bible way, make it hard to follow that way of life. It seems that it's not an easy way. It doesn't seem the blessed way. You see, the hopeful start of the psalm doesn't really seem to engage with reality sometimes. And I don't know about you, though, but even in those times when I've not got pressure from other people, maybe when I'm alone, I still find that even then I find it hard to follow that way. The thoughts that come up into my mind, the things that I do when I'm just on my own that, frankly, are not God's ways. You see, I find that my heart is a repository of all different sorts of kinds of evils and of idolatries. I have the desire to live the Bible way, and yet on the other hand, I find it so hard to do that. You see, living the Bible walk can be hard, can't it? And so maybe as we come to Psalm 119, this great psalm about the Bible, you're thinking, oh no, not again. Here I'm going to come again this morning and find that I just can't do this. It doesn't match up with my experience of life. And so I'm going to go home at the end of this hour and think I'm just depressed again. I want to follow God's way, but I find it so hard and I can't do it. And it says that's going to be the best way, but my life is just so hard. What I want us to see this morning is that far from being divorced from the realities of that struggle and that experience that we have, This psalm engages very deeply with those struggles and experiences. It does it through a conversation with God, and it shows and it gives us resources as we face this life of struggle and difficulty. The resources to get through and to keep going. And as we begin, let me ask you a question. I wonder, as you, what you know of Psalm 119, what would you say is the most common word or or word groups as you look through Psalm 119? Now, if you are thinking in your mind it's about the Bible, it's got eight different words for the Bible all the way through. Uh, once every verse, you'll see one of those, um, those words, nearly every verse that is. Well, you're partially right if that's what you said. You see, that's not really the most commonly repeated word group. Just, just scan your, your eyes down, verses 17 to 24, and see how many times I or me is repeated. 
verse 17. Do good to your servant and I will live. I will obey your words. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. I am a stranger on earth. Do not hide your commands from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your laws at all time. And, and so it goes on all the way through uh, the whole of the psalm. Here is a man who's speaking about himself, about his experiences. And the other uh, common word that you saw there is you and yours. You see, what we have in these verses, the point's this, is not just an academic treatise about the Bible and the glories of the Bible. Here is a man who is praying to God, I to you, as I live out my life, trying to live this Bible walk. Here's a man who is facing, as you read through, many and varied difficulties in that Christian life, and he prays to God about them. He brings it all before God. He faces difficulties, and he prays about them. You see, this psalm, rather than being something which should make us depressed that we're not having more quiet times, it should encourage us to see that living this life is realistic. And it should give us the resources to enable us to keep going. It should give us uh, the words to express the difficulties which we feel. And so look at verses 17 to 24. And what we see in this little section is a man who feels the pressure of verse 19 being a stranger on the earth. He feels the pressures of verse 23, rulers sitting together and slandering him. Now here's a man who feels the pressure of feeling out of place. The pressure to conform or to compromise. And as he faces that pressure, he prays. I wonder if you can relate to the feeling that he feels. Do you know when you're with friends and they start telling jokes and you just feel, I, I just can't enter into the jokes they're telling? I can't laugh at that? Or when those who are in authority over you, leaders, people at work, start making little comments or remarks that they're not terrible remarks, but they just start to make you feel excluded and on the outside. When friends are starting to make plans and doing things, or planning some things, you just think, I just can't do that. And, and so you start just to feel on the edge, pushed out a little bit. They make you feel an outsider. They make you feel hurt. Now that's what this psalmist felt. He felt that pressure from other people. And as he felt that, he prayed to God. And see how he begins in verse 17. He says, do good to your servant and I will live. In other words, what he's saying here is he's crying to God. He says, be generous to me. And then he'll be able to live and obey God. And he's effect saying, Lord, I need your goodness. And without that, I can't live. Be good to me so I may live, so I may obey your commands. He, he continues in verse 18 in a very similar vein. Open my eyes, I may see wonderful things in your law. Christopher Ashe shows the, the significance of these words in, in the book that Tim recommended before. He, he says this. He says, overwhelmingly in the Psalms, the wonders of the Lord are his acts of covenant rescue, provision, and protection. The wonder of the Lord are his acts of covenant rescue, provision, and protection. 
And as you read through the Bible, you can think of many wonders like that. Think of the, the, Egyptian, the, the Israelites on the, the edge of the Red Sea with the Egyptian army bearing down on them, about to uh, destroy them. And God says, trust me and I'll save you. And he did. He saved them through uh, the Red Sea. You see, this is Samus saying, let me see those things in your word. Let me understand those wonderful things in your law. So as Christopher Ash again writes, he says, this prayer is not just that he will read any old amazing things in the Bible. He prays that his, his eyes will be opened to see and grasp that the God who rescued in the past is a God who rescues now. You see, so this man calls that he may, God might be good to him, so he lives. He prays, let me see the wonderful things in your law so I've got confidence in who you are and what you've done. He wants to see who God is as he lives this life of pressure. Now, for us to see amazing things in the, in the law of the Lord would be wonderfully and most appropriately to see the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus who does provide that rescue and provision and protection The Lord Jesus who did that primarily by dying on the cross for us. You see, as we face trials and hardships and difficulties from people without, that's what we need. And so we feel the longing that this man has. Do good to me that I might live. Show me those wonderful things in your law. He needs to feel it, verse 19, because I am a stranger on the earth. So don't hide your commands from me. And he's saying, Father, I know I don't belong here. And if you hide your commands from me, how will I live? How can I keep going? Let me see them. Let me know them, Lord. Don't hide them from me. Often when we read the Bible here, I think it's helpful to pray before. And one of the prayers which I find really helpful when we come to read the Bible is this. Thank you, Father, for making yourself known to us showing us the way of salvation through faith in your Son. We ask you now to teach us through your word so that we may be ready to serve you for the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a wonderful prayer. Father, I thank you that we can know you. And Father, we ask that you to teach us. You see, it's saying positively what he's saying here. Don't hide yourself from me. And Father, we thank you that you've not hidden yourself from us, that we can open your word and we can read about you and we can know you, we can see the life you bring, we can see your wonders. You see, he prays this because he knows he needs it from God. And so verse 20, he can pray, my soul is consumed with longing for your laws at all times. You see, he knows God's word. He knows, verse 21, that you rebuke the arrogant who are cursed and who stray from your commands. You see, he knows that the blessing in the life will never come from straying away from God, yet he feels the pressure for, to follow that way, to go that way. It'd be easy to think on giving up on some, God, some of God's commands and ways and purposes would make things easier. So he prays, verse 22, remove from me scorn and contempt, for I keep your statutes. He has that desire to be going God's way and so he can pray, verse 24, though rulers sit together and slander me, your servant will meditate on your decrees. He sees the wonders in God's words and he knows that he can keep going. Despite the the mockery of those more powerful than him, he knows he can keep going because he meditates on God's word. 
He knows that although they accuse him of doing wrong and of that he is following God's ways, he knows that it's better to be meditating and mulling over God's word than to be mulling over and meditating on the slanders of those who are more powerful than him. And so he prays in the end, your statutes are my delight. They are my counselors. You see, as he faces pressure from without, the psalmist prays to God. I wonder if I can ask you, how are your prayers? Is this your experience when you face the trials and difficulties of life? Do you pray to God, crying out to him, seeking help from him? Or do you turn in on yourself and seek to live and work out things yourself? These words of Psalm 119 are words which we can take and we can use in this week when we face difficulties and pressures and trials. You see, the psalmist faces that pressure from other people, but then over the page, um, in the next uh, little section, we see that he also faces pressure from within. A summary, I think, of verses 25 to 32 could be something like this. It is, cry to God when you feel the pressure from within. This section, the writer is is really desperate, it looks like. You see what he says in verse 25. I am laid low in the dust. Now, I'm sure many of you know the connection of dust to death. Remember what God said to Adam? For dust you are, and to dust you will return. It's quite a striking statement of God's judgment on sin at that point. Dust you are, and to dust you will return. And here is a man who is lying in the dust. He feels he is facing the curse of death. And more than just lying on the ground, you could translate that word laid low as cling, as other versions do. He says, I cling to the dust. The sense of him being stuck in the mud, unable to be, get free, unable to move, held down by that experience. I don't know if you've ever been stuck in the mud. Um, I've only had uh, one experience when I was really stuck in the mud, and that was in the middle of uh, Montrose Basin. Uh, I was helping to uh, round up um, swans in the Montrose Basin. You can ask me about why I was doing that later if you want. Um, but part of what I had to do was, at one point, I had to get out of the canoe I was in and uh, go across some mud. And it was fine to start with. I made a little bit of progress, but very quickly, I just became exhausted absolutely exhausted that I couldn't move I couldn't pull my legs back out of the mud and I was just stuck there in the middle of Montrose Basin and that's what this man feels as he considers his life stuck he clings to the dust it's quite a situation he was feeling and we're not entirely sure exactly what that situation was it may be he faced that as he faced the persecution he's speaking of in the, in the last section. And maybe it's getting worse now. And yet for my money, I think what he's speaking about here is the, his experience of his own sinfulness. He knows his sin and he knows that he is mired in death because of it. He feels the pressure of his own sin from within. And do you remember that Genesis said that the curse of sin was death? The result of sin was to return to dust. 
And so I think he's speaking here of his experience of thing of sin. I think that's why he prays in verse 29, keep me from deceitful ways. That is, help me to walk in the truth. That is, keep me from sin, not to walk away from you, God, but to walk with you. I think that's why he feels this sense of being caught and clinging to the dust. Interestingly, in the original, the same word for cling is used in verse 31, when he says, I hold fast to your statutes, or I cling to your statutes. You see the difference? He doesn't want to cling to death. He wants to cling to God and his word. Here's a man feeling the pain of sin and death. You know, as an aside, you get an example here of what it means to live out the Bible as well. You see, I imagine maybe in his morning quiet time, the writer had been reading Genesis 3 maybe, and he'd read that dust you are and to dust you'll return. And he had come to understand what sin really meant. He understood the, the effect that sin has, and he, he felt that as he considered his own life. You see, and that's what happens when we read Scripture. It it shapes and changes us if we consider it and we allow it to penetrate into our hearts. And so as he feels that experience, again, he prays to God. What we see here, we see in two stages. And at first, he prays for life in verses 25 to 28. You see it in verse 25. I'm laid low in the dust. Preserve my life according to your word. When we sin and when we feel the pressure of sin, here's what we pray. Preserve my life according to your word. We ask God to do what he says and what he promises to do. That When we come and repent before him, he forgives, he gives life. We know that because Jesus has died for us. We understand that because of Jesus, we can have the effect of our sin removed, taken away. We can be forgiven so we can pray, preserve my life. In verse 26, he says, I recounted my ways and you answered me. Teach me your decrees. He, he recounted his ways. He recounted his sinful ways before God. And it reminds me of Psalm 32. Do you remember there when David says he tried to cover up his sin and it just made things worse? But he uncovered it before God. He spoke to God about it. He if you like, recounted his ways before God and God forgave him his sin. God answered that prayer and God always answers that prayer when we come to him and ask for forgiveness. It's what we did at the beginning of the service when we confessed our sins before God. We spoke generally about our sin, yes, but nonetheless, we were expressing our ways before God, that we are those who are sinners and who deserve the condemnation of God. And so we ask, please forgive us. We recounted our ways and know God will answer us as we do that. Well, the psalmist goes on, let me understand the teaching of your precepts. Then I will meditate on your wonders. He wants to understand those precepts of God so that then he can meditate on the wonders of God. Again, that reference to wonders, it links these two uh, sections. He wants to be able to meditate on the wonders of God's rescue and protection and provision. That's what we need to understand when we feel bound down by our sin, don't we? 
understand God's rescue again, meditate on those things, not turning inwards just to meditate on our sin. You see, so whether he feels the pressure of his sin or whether it's because of others persecuting him, he wants to see those amazing truths of the gospel. He wants to remember that we are saved not because of good things that we have done, but we are saved through the mercy and grace of our God. He wants to remember that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He's not wanting to meditate just on random occurrences in the Bible. He wants to remember the salvation of God. He wants to meditate on those things. And so if the first half then is the, of this section is that he prays for life, in verses 29 to 32, we see that he asks for help to change. In verse 29, keep me from deceitful ways. Be gracious to me through your law. Do you know in my life, as I've come to understand myself better, I've come to see how easily I can deceive myself. I don't know if you've had that experience. I can be doing something and I can convince myself and justify to myself that what I'm doing is the right thing to be doing. That I'm not being sinful. But this is a good and right thing. Yeah, if I'm being honest with myself, and then those moments of clarity when I'm actually honest with myself, I see that it's very easy to deceive myself. That I can follow ways which are deceitful. You see the truth of the words, the heart is deceitful above all things. And so here's this man saying, as he looks at his life, he says, keep me from deceitful ways. Be gracious to me through your laws. And the flip side is in verse 30, rather than seeking deceitful ways which have led him to be marred in sin, he says, I've chosen the way of truth. I've set my heart on your laws. He expresses his determination too in verse 31, hold fast to your statutes, O Lord, do not let me be put to shame. You see, he doesn't want to be, um, he wants to be, to cling to God fully and totally. He doesn't want to face the judgment of God. He wants to cling to God. He wants to follow that way. And that means clinging to God's and his statutes, his word. And the wonderful thing is then rather than being mired in the mud and the dust, look what you can do, verse 32. I run in the path of your commands for you've set my heart free. It's wonderful, isn't it? Rather than being kind of pulled down and stuck in that sinful life, he wants his heart to be free so he can live that life of freedom. He can run before God. That's what verse 32 proclaims, that running before God, the freedom that we can have. And we, we see in this, this stanza the way in which many of our confessions work here at church. You ever thought about when we pray the confession at the beginning, what we do? We often and we generally start by confessing our sins. We recount our ways and we ask God to forgive us. And then we ask God to help us to live differently. So at the end of the confession this morning, we prayed, help us to love love you and our neighbor and to live for your honor and glory through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
You see, living the Bible will mean praying to God when we feel the pressures from within and when we feel the pressures from without. Praying to God that we might live amidst the pressures of of this life. The psalmist is praying and asking that we'll have strength to keep going straight under the pressure. To make the good and the right choices amidst the difficulties and the struggles he faces. Do you know, I find these verses a, a real encouragement to me in my Christian walk and also a challenge. Now here's the, the encouragement. Now as I read these and the, the rest of the psalm, I don't meet a man who lived in some kind of ivory tower. I meet a man who faced difficulties like I face in this life. Now, he could delight in God's word and seek to live that way, but he wasn't a man who did never experience the difficulties of life. And these two stanzas make that entirely clear. And so as I feel the pressures and the struggles and the strains, here's a great encouragement for me. I'm not abnormal. I'm not abnormal as I seek to follow the Bible and find these things. I find that most encouraging. The challenge for me, though, is that I read these words and I read of this intensity of prayer that I think I rarely feel. And often when we feel the pressures, uh, both from without and from within, the thing that I often don't do is turn to God in prayer. And the one writer says that when we face those struggles, what can happen is that our world shrinks into inward preoccupation physical pain or the experience of unfairness or anxieties or the need for money lay claim to our consciousness. Do you not feel that sometimes? That the difficulty consumes our mind and we turn in on ourselves. And as we turn in on ourselves and just think about those things, we push God away to the side. Or think about when you sin and turn away from God then. As you sin and you realize that you become angry at yourselves maybe you take it out on others or you feel the after effect of sin you feel the failure the guilt the sense of coming up short yet again and our despair turns us away from God can you see how that works we we try harder we feel self-pity we feel as if we don't measure up And rather than turning to God, we just think about those things within ourselves. And in doing that, we push God to the side. We, as Martin Luther said, we become a man curved inward. A man who just thinks about himself. You see, the challenge and the model that this psalm presents as we live this Bible life is not to turn in on ourselves but it's to turn out to God in prayer. As we live this life and as we struggle with this life, we have a model here of a man who brings those life experiences to God. And in his dialogue with God, he finds help and the strength to keep going as God answers his prayer. As he asks that God would more and more consume him, more and more enable him to live out this Bible life in the midst of the struggles and the pressures. You see, as we live this Bible life, and as we read Psalm 119, 
encouraging us to do that. It's not a a Bible life which is divorced from reality, but it is there right in the reality of our lives. The question for us is, will we learn to walk in it and walk that life of prayer and dependence on God or will we turn away from him? Well, let me pray that we would be those who are those who keep turning out to him. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so very much that you show us yourself and that we can open your word and we can see your wonders there proclaimed for us. That you are a God who rescues and provides and protects. We thank you most especially for the Lord Jesus and the rescue which he won for us and the provision that he makes for us and the protection he gives us. And Father, would you help us in the midst of all the struggles of this life to be those who keep turning to you in prayer, crying out about the situations we find ourselves in and seeking your help to keep going straight. Father, keep us from the danger of uh, turning in on ourselves and becoming preoccupied by the struggles or becoming full of self-pity, fear and worry. But Father, help us to keep turning to you in all that we face. And we pray this through Jesus Christ, our Lord's name. Amen.